you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, there's a good chance that some of you today, you were really excited to come to church. Some of you were going, man, I haven't been to church in a while. And you get to church and now all of a sudden you're handed a bulletin. You're going, great. They're talking about money. Are you kidding me? Why did I get out of bed for this? All right. You kind of, man, this is tough. So some of you, you probably feel like pastors, that's all they do is talk about money. Some pastors may. Um, did you know that in the Bible, there are 500 verses on prayer. There are 500 verses on faith. And in the Bible, there are over 2,000 verses, 2,000 verses on your finances and dealing with money. Did you know Jesus talks more about money than heaven and hell combined? Isn't that amazing? Matter of fact, if you would go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one out of every six verses deals with money. One-sixth of the Gospels. Isn't that amazing? Take it one step further. Jesus and his parables. Jesus is known for his great teaching and his great parables that he would teach people. Did you know that Jesus taught one out of every three parables on finances and on money. So here's what that would mean. If I were to follow Jesus's method of teaching, every third Sunday would be about money. <laughs> Woo, boy, wake up call, isn't it? That'd be pretty hard. So here's what we're gonna do. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna spend three weeks and we're gonna talk about finances. We're gonna talk about where you're at in your giving, where you're at and how you're doing with generosity. And our goal is this. The goal is to get you to move at least one step in the area of this generosity. To grow, to develop. Second Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking and Paul is teaching. He's writing to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is a strong, financially based church. It's a wealthy area, wealthy town. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 begins to give an illustration, a challenge to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church has problems. Problems such as this. Immorality is sweeping through their church. Greed, fighting, doctrinal issues. And Paul has been writing in 1 Corinthians to correct that. And in 2 Corinthians, he's now giving them a challenge. And he talks about the Macedonian church. The Macedonian church is a poor church. He talks about how that they're going through great trials and afflictions. But in the midst of their trials and in the midst of their afflictions, the Macedonian church has demonstrated generosity above and beyond their capability. And Paul is talking to a wealthy church, and he says, guys, you need to learn something from their way of living, their way of giving. You need to learn from their model. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I would like to walk through this and I want to show you just a moment what Paul is asking us to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You have your Bibles. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to go down through verse 7, all right? So start with verse 1 of chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Don't you like that word? Extreme poverty. Watch what it says. Have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and above and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The church began to beg, can we please give? And they're poverty stricken under great affliction. Can we give? Can we participate? And he says this in verse five, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Now, verse seven is interesting. Here's what it says. But as, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Giving as an act of grace. Being generous as an act of God's grace in our lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. God, I pray that right now you'd reach down and you'd move and you'd work. God, I pray that you would give us the ears to hear. I pray your Holy Spirit would have freedom to work amongst us. God, I pray in those areas that we want to push back and reject. God, I pray that you would soften and give us the courage in our lives to apply this truth to our lives so that, Father, we walk out of here at different people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, so it says, see that you grow in this act of grace as well. Your faith should be growing. You should be moving forward in your faith. We understand that. We, we, we grasp that and we say, yes, absolutely. My faith needs to be growing and I want my faith to be stronger this year than it was last year. We agree in knowledge that we should be increasing in our knowledge of God's word, how God is working. But how often do we actually say we need to grow in an act of grace such as generosity? Very seldom do we want to talk about that. Very seldom do we want to even look at where we're at in our generosity. I believe for the most part, we want to be generous, but it becomes very hard in a society in which we are pushed by advertising to buy and to accumulate more and more and more. Here's what we've done. I've put on the screen, I would like uh, you guys to put on the screen a continuum, just a line, an arrow that shows the act of grace and how it begins to progress. We start off with selfishness. We are all selfish. We come in to this world as being selfish. Let's just talk for just a minute, make sure we understand. You ever seen a little kid, one years old, two years old? They get a little toy, they get a little blanket, they get their own thing. What do they learn very quickly? Mine, mine. You try to take that pacifier from them, mine. They'll fight back and forth over the little things. They know it's theirs, they keep it, it's mine. Selfishness. Then we move to stingy. We move to stingy and we begin to say, okay, I'll give you a little bit, I'll be a little bit kind, but I don't really wanna be too kind because it's mine, mine, mine. Um, my kids, we work on this all the time of sharing. You talk, use that word with your kids, I'm sure, share, share. We gotta share, we gotta share. They'll have a big jar, we'll have a big handful of M&Ms. And we say, hey, did you share with your brother? Did you share with your sister? No, and so you know what they do? 
a handful of M&Ms. You know how they share? One M&M goes to the... Are you kidding me? You have a handful of M&Ms they're going to share with one. Come on. Stingy. We, we find ourselves doing the same thing, don't we? We move from selfish and say, okay, we're just going to give just a little bit. And many times this is even how we handle God is saying, hey, I want you to bless somebody. I want you to be generous and be kind to somebody else. And all of a sudden, you, you know what you should do. You know what you should give. You know how you should help out. But man, inside your heart, you're going, I can't do it. And so you give just a small portion of what God asked you to do. So you can say, God, I was obedient, but yet you really weren't fully obedient. Does that make sense? Even when we come to church, it becomes one of those tensions in our lives. It's a lot easier to tip God. It's a lot easier to give a tip on Sunday, to give a $5 tip, a $10 tip, maybe even less than what we would give at a restaurant when we take our kids out to eat, our families out to eat, but we'll give God a tip and say, okay, we're good. And you feel like you almost satisfied your soul and you're like, okay, I'm good. God and I are good. And we move on, but we stay in that stingy realm. Then there's the next move and that's the systematic where you began to actually say, okay, God, I want to move you into a priority in my life. And I'm going to begin to move systematically through every time I get paid or every time I'm increased, I'm going to begin to give God just a portion. And you begin to systematically every week or every two weeks or every month, whenever you get paid and you systematically say, it's going to come out of my paycheck. It's going to come out of our bank account. We're going to put God first. We're going to put generosity into play into our lives. We're going to set aside a part of our budget in which we're going to be able to bless others and become systematic every month. This is how much we have to actually bless others and be kind. And then we move to the next part, which is steward. A steward is one who's faithful and obedient to what God has called them to do and be. A steward recognizes that what they have really isn't theirs, that they're truly just a manager. Somebody else owns it, and now they're faithful and obedient to the 10%, and they give it back on a consistent basis. It's all, it's his 10%. And then the last part is that sacrificial, which is what Joey talked about and Beverly talked about just a minute ago. When you go above and beyond the sacrificial, when you go above and beyond the tithe and you begin to give and you say, okay, God, here it is. So here's the conversation today. There's a good chance that as you're looking at this, there's a pushback right in yourself and you're going, there's no way. And you end up sitting back and you're going, I cannot do this. I'm not going to listen. And, and, and you just get, you get tense because you're talking about money in church and this is, oh, and it's hard. But here's what I want to make sure we do. I want to lay out for you, since there's 2,000 verses in the Bible on money, then I just want to lay out some things in the Bible so you understand what's going on. So you begin to see it and you begin to apply it in your life. When you begin to live God's principles out of his word and you apply those principles about money into your own life, you'll begin to see God do great things through your life and in your finances. And so here's what I'm hoping. I'm praying that as we walk through the next three weeks, I'm praying you'll move at least one level. I'm praying that you'll at least move to the next level. I'm praying that you'll at least move out of the area you're at now. For some of you, for some of you, you're going to begin to actually say, wait a minute, I've been living in this realm for too long, and you're going to jump one, two, you might even jump three or four. I don't know what God's calling you to, except that I know that he's calling you to grow in this act of grace as well. Does that make sense? 
to grow in this act of grace. This is not between you and me. Let me make it very clear. I'm not going to be chasing you down. I'm not going to be looking at your tithing record or your giving record. I don't know what you give. I don't even know your dollars amount. I don't care to know. But here's what I do know. That when I begin to apply these principles in my own personal life, when my wife and I begin to apply it in our own personal lives, we've watched God do great things through us and in our lives that we could not pinpoint in any other way except that it was God alone who did it. And what I want for you and I want for your family is this. I want God's blessings on your life. And I want you to begin to grow in this act so that you actually can say, next year, look how God has grown my faith. This is one of the greatest faith steps you'll ever take is begin to put God's principles in play for your life. So today, let's talk about the first two. All right, let's start with selfishness and let's start with stinginess and let's walk through those and let's talk about some lies that we automatically believe. The Bible says certain things about our finances, but what begins to happen is this. We begin to believe lies from our culture or lies from even what we tell ourselves. So let's look at these lies. I'm gonna give you three lies for selfishness. I'm gonna give you three lies for stinginess. And then after we finish those six lies, then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you a, 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 an acknowledgement for selfishness, if you begin to acknowledge a certain principle, a certain truth, it allows you to begin to break the cycle of selfishness. I'll give you an acknowledgement of a truth that helps you begin to break the idea and the cycle of stinginess. And then we'll conclude for today, all right? So let me start off with selfishness. Selfishness, the first lie is this. The first lie is that it revolves around the idea of power. I have earned money by my own power, intellect, and ability. This is a lie that we believe quite often. It's a lie that we believe that when we begin to see how much we've grown and how much we've been able to accumulate wealth, we begin to say, I did it. I did it on my own. Whether we're Donald Trump or Bill Gates or whether we're not, we begin to say that it's my power, my intellect. I'm the one who did it. Here's the truth. Deuteronomy 8, verse 17 and 18 says this. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I did this on my own. Here's what the truth is. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Did you hear that? Who gave you the power? It's God. Well, Heath, you don't understand. My determination, my willingness to work hard, my willingness to go through school, my willingness to, to stay up those late hours. Let me be honest with you. I hear you. And I am, I'm proud for your efforts. I'm so excited that you are willing to work hard and stay up late and to put in those long hours. Who gave you the heartbeat to be able to do that? Who gave you the breath? Who gave you the health? to be able to stay up those late hours. It was God. Who gave you the intellect? You do not have any power over how smart or how dumb you are. You can try to increase it, right? But if you wanted to be a genius, could you just say, I'm a genius? It doesn't work that way. You can't just automatically increase it. It was God who gave you that ability. 
And so for us to actually step back and say, I did it on my own, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Number two, it's pride. It revolves around pride. You ready? Number two is this. I have more personal value because I have money. We begin to look at our lives and we begin to look at what we have. Isn't it interesting? Because I drive a nice, big, huge pickup. Now I have more power. I'm stronger. I have more value. Because I drive or I have certain things. I have more money. Are you following this? We see it all the time. Because I wear certain clothes, I now have more value. Because I have money, because I have this, I have more value than somebody who doesn't have what I have. And it's a constant tension in our life. And kids in high school feel it. Kids in middle school feel it. And you feel it in your 30s. You feel it in your 40s. You feel it in your 50s and 60s. They retired before me. They have more value than I do. Are you following this? It's a value that we put on because we have money. Here's what the Bible says. Psalm 62, 10 says, do not put trust in exhortation. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Jeremiah 9, 23 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not wise men boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that God understands and knows me. I like that. You can sit back and you can boast and you can be proud for all the things that you have. But the reality is this, the greatest thing that you should ever boast of is that God knows you, God loves you, and God is working in your life. That's the amazing thing. It is not because you have things that God loves you. The reality is this, that God loves the poor just like he loves the rich. You do not have more value because you have things. Your value comes, watch this, because God loved you, he created you in his own image, and he gives you value because he loves you. And his value is based on this. You're so much worthy to him. He gives so much value to you. He sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross for you. That's an incredible worth. That's not in your possessions or the things or the money that you have. Number three, I have money to consume for my own pleasure The reason you have money is so that you can actually just enjoy it on whatever you want. You can buy more houses. You can buy more cars. You can go out to eat wherever you want. The reason you have money is so that you can actually spend it on your own pleasure. Jesus told a parable about this in Luke Luke chapter 12. He tells about a man who looks out across his fields and he says, wow, this is, I've increased greatly. You remember the story? I've increased. And he he begins to say, what am I going to do with all this wealth, with all this thing that I've been increased? And he says, I know what I'll do. So he tears down his old barns and he does what? Builds bigger barns. And then he sets back and he says, okay, great. All I have to do now is just sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. Hey, hey, this is life. I have material possessions so that I can just enjoy it. I have no other responsibilities. Now let's build some tension here. Is it wrong for you to enjoy things? Is it wrong for you to have things? Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes that we are to actually 
enjoy the fruit of our labor. Do you remember that? It's a great statement. It's, it's good for us to understand. You can enjoy it. But the problem is this. When you begin to say, I've gained all these things for my own good, you've missed the point that God of the universe actually says, I blessed you to actually be a blessing, not to consume it for your own. And so what happens is this, when you begin to take these lies and you take these three, it keeps you in that cycle of selfishness and you never break loose and you never want to give back because you begin to say, I earned it by my own power. I shouldn't have to give it away. I don't want to give it away. I earned it and it's for me to actually enjoy. Why should I actually give it away? And so you stay in the selfish mode and you never break out. Those lies will keep you from miss and cause you to miss the blessings of God. Number two, let's talk about stinginess. That's the next grouping. Let's talk about stinginess because I, I believe for the most part, most of us, yeah, we might play with the selfishness area, but for the most part, where we move is we move over to that stingy because we do give a little bit. We give a little bit, but we can't really quite figure out how to get out of that. But So let's talk about what stinginess and what keeps us in the cycle of stinginess. The first one is in Luke chapter 12, and it's actually a precursor verse to the story of this rich man who built bigger barns. The Bible says this, Jesus is talking to him. Luke 12 and verse 15, it says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, stuff promises success. Money promises you that you are successful. When you have more things, then all of a sudden you now are considered successful. You feel more successful when you have things and when you are able to buy more things. You feel like, hey, I'm doing a great job and you say, yes, I'm successful now. But your life does not revolve and it does not consist of the things that you can buy. Right now, if you're wanting to buy a TV, this is a perfect time walk into all the stores, the Super Bowl's coming up and everybody's, they're pushing TVs right and left. Did you know that if you have two TVs in your home, you're considered some of the wealthiest people in all the world? Isn't that amazing? You begin to look at what the Bible says and how that if you have two of anything, you should be willing to get rid of it and give it to somebody in need. We get so attached that we need more shoes, don't we? Look at your closets. I look at my closet and I'm just kind of, oh my, whoops, I need another pair of shoes. Those shoes don't actually match this outfit. The style has now changed. They're no longer round toes. They now need to be square-toed shoes, right? And you begin to say, wait, I gotta have this. And you begin to start saying, I need more, I need this. And stuff promises us that we're successful. But the reality is this, your life is not given success by the possessions you have. Number two, a lie that we believe. Stuff promises us security. This is one of the most powerful passages. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is talking to a, a young man. The young man comes up to him and, and says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You remember that question? That's a great question. What can I do? What what should I do? I want to get to heaven. Jesus, I want to be made right with God. How do I get there? And Jesus starts off and he says, okay, all you have to do is you remember the 10 commandments? You have to obey. And he says, he starts listing a few of the 10 commandments. And, 
And the young man's like, yes, Jesus, I've done it. I've done that. That's exactly what I've done. I've done it all. And then Jesus says, but there's one thing you're still missing. Do you remember that? And Jesus says, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And then you'll have eternal life. And the Bible says that he walks away disheartened because he has a great amount of possessions. See, possessions, money, finances, stuff, it promises us security. We feel more secure when we have more money in the bank, don't we? The answer is yes. We feel more powerful. We feel like, okay, everything's okay because now we have money that promises us security. And I will feel secure if I could just get a little bit more, if I could just get a little bit more in the 401k, if I could just get a little bit more in the bank account. And it begins to promise us so much. Now, here's the problem. This man, this man is talking to the person, Jesus, who could give him eternal life. And he put more security in his possessions than in Jesus. Now watch, we do this often in church. We're religious, we come to church, and we'll trust God with eternity but we have a hard time when it comes to, on Sunday, giving to God and trusting him the rest of the week. Did you hear that? We do, don't we? It's hard because we begin to look at our bank accounts and we say, there's no way I can trust God for the rest of the week, but I'll trust him for eternity, that's okay. The reality is this, your God's big enough and all you have to do is begin to say, which one am I gonna trust? Is my security coming from money or my security coming from God? There's a big difference. Money promises security, but it cannot deliver. Let me give you the next lie. This last lie on stinginess, I think, is a very strong one. Stuff, money, promises soul satisfaction. Money promises that it's going to satisfy. So we go after it hard, don't we? We go after it and we try to gain it, and we're willing to gain it. And what do you need? just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And it, it's an always moving line. You get a thousand dollars. Oh, I just need a little bit more. Now it moves to 2000. I just need the first hundred thousand. And then it moves a little bit further and I need a little bit more and it keeps moving further and further. And it's never satisfying because once you gain it, you now need a little bit more. Jesus gives an incredible statement when he says this in Mark chapter eight, he says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit or lose his soul? What does it profit you? So what you gained everything. What does it profit you? You know, there's a statement that says you never see a U-Haul on the back of a hearse. Why? You can't take it. You can't take it with you. There was a t-shirt company. It was, it was called No Fear. You remember that several years ago and very popular. And it says, he who dies with the most toys wins. But the problem is the person who dies with the most toys still dies. There's, there's no success. There's no value in being the richest person in the cemetery. Right? There's no, there's no value to it. So here's what we want to do. We need to understand that it's, it's a lie. It's a lie when you begin to say, I have to accumulate. I need more stuff. Because it's not, at the end of the day, it's not going to give you soul satisfaction. 
Your soul is longing for something that only God can fill. And money will not fill that, no matter how hard you try. Only God can fill it. Now, let me give you two things to acknowledge, and I'll give you an illustration, and then we're finished. So if I want to break out of, and I want to get out of this whole idea of selfishness, I need to acknowledge something, a very simple truth, but yet it's so profound, and I hope break you out of selfishness. The first point that you need to acknowledge, the point for selfishness, is to acknowledge that money reveals your heart's priority. Matthew chapter six, Jesus is talking. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you would stop for just a moment and you could acknowledge that where you send your money, you're in control of your money. It's because you chose to buy certain things that money has to go out to pay for those each month. If you could look at your bills, you look at your statements, you could tell very quickly and acknowledge, if you would acknowledge, this says where my priority is. Well, Heath, you just don't understand. I I have so many obligations. I hear you. I understand. I'm, I'm a dad. I have four kids. Man, they're wanting to be involved in so many things and they're all over the map. They're wanting to do so many things and it's hard. But when I look at my monthly statements, when I look at my bills and when I look at what we have to do, here's what we come back to. I have to first acknowledge that where my money goes demonstrates my heart's priorities. So if it's a priority for my kids to be involved in sports, money's going out that way. If it's a priority to go out and, and have dates with my kids, is it, if it's a priority for me to have dates with my wife, money's going out towards it. Are you following? I can look and I can see where my heart's priorities are depending on how I spent my money this month. If it's a priority, I put it there. If cable is a priority, it goes out. Telephone, priority, money's going out. Wherever it's a priority, money goes out. And in order to break selfishness, you have to first understand what you choose to send your money to demonstrates your heart's priority. So if you say giving and generosity is a priority, then you have to rearrange in order for it to become a priority. And until you're willing to do it, it's not a priority according to your finances. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Why? Because where you make the priority with your money, your heart is tethered to it and it's on a dog leash or however else you need a mental image. It's tied to it and your heart will only follow wherever your heart is, or your money goes. The second one is acknowledge. We need to acknowledge this. If you want to break out of the cycle of being stingy, this acknowledgement is huge. To acknowledge that God is the owner of everything. He owns it all. Psalm 24 and verse one, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. God owns it all. It's his. Now, let me give you this illustration because I think it will help tie it all together. A couple years ago, I took my kids to McDonald's. They love McDonald's. I have, again, three girls and a a boy. And Jamie and I were going to be going out on a date. 
And so in order to go out on a date, I did not want to eat McDonald's, although I love McDonald's. Oh. So I'm sitting there with the kids, all right? We're talking, and I order them all their meals, and they're, they're sitting there. And, man, those golden fries begin to call out. You ever been in that moment? It's just like, man, that salt and the grease, you just crave it. And you're like, man, I can't have. I, and so, so I do what every good dad does. I ask my kids to give me fries. All right. So my oldest, she starts thinking and she, she knows that she should do it. And so she, she kind of, it's begrudging. You know what I'm talking about? She's like, ah. she kind of does a little eye roll a little bit. And she's like, okay, dad. And she, she gives me some. Okay. So I was like, okay, great. Well, then I went to the second daughter and the second daughter, she, she's like, she stared me down for a minute. She did. She just stared me down. And after staring me down, then she goes here and she gives me one fry. She doesn't even let me pick them out. She gives me one fry. <laughs> my third daughter, oh, she's my sweetheart. She, she is so generous and kind. Here, daddy, she gives me all of her fries. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. So I give it back and I take the fry from her. My son, he looks at me. No. I mean, there was not even a conversation about it. I mean, no. I mean, it was like we were fixing to throw down right there. He was ready to throw down with his dad. I'm like, son. And then the oldest daughter, she, she tries to help out. He's like, Xander, because she's trying to help him. Xander, go ahead, do it. No. And then she goes, you realize he's bigger than you. I'm like, man, so there's this, this battle going on. Now, all three of them, all four, three, I lost one of them somewhere. All four of those kids, they're mine. I love them. I would do anything for them, just like you would do for your kids. The principle is this. They had no money to buy their own fries. They had no money. That meal came from daddy. That meal was just bought with my money. They're eating and enjoying what I gave them. Are you following? Me asking for something in return was not me being mean, but it was me inviting them to participate with me out of love. Right? Are you following this? It was a way for them to be able to demonstrate their love for their dad. I could have bought them 10 more fries if I wanted. They're only a buck. Right? But instead... I could have went up there and I bought my own, but instead I was inviting them into just a time with me and them. And here's what we, I want to make sure we understand. The selfishness and stinginess, it can be broken so quickly and so easily if we would just start with the acknowledgement that my priorities are definitely tied to my money and that God already owns it all. He's not gonna come knock you up top of the head to take and steal your money. That's not what he's trying to do. What God is after... What God is after is your heart. What God wants more than anything is your free love to come back to him saying, God, I give you whatever you want. I'm here and I'm wanting to participate with you. It's an act of grace that he's wanting to move you down the line so that you say, I trust him more this year than I've ever trusted him. Do you see it? It's an act of grace to grow in it. My heavenly father is amazing. And I want you to be able to trust him the way he's called you to trust him. I want to trust him the way he's called me to trust him. How amazing it is to have a heavenly father who loves us and invites us in to this act of grace. 